Freedom Hut. Dueling candidate town halls in the books. Trump got ambushed. Biden got a back rub. C-SPAN suspends a liar. And more on the tech war on truth. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. It is Friday. It's a little gloomy here in New York City and much of the East Coast. But the good news is this whole election thing is going to be over soon. So at least we've got that going for us, which is nice. uh, Candidate town halls last night. We were able to watch them. I I saw them both. I waited until this morning. I just couldn't take it in real time. So I got up and I saw both of these town halls. And I got to tell you, there was nothing surprising or really worthwhile in any of it because it happened exactly as I knew it would. My, My impression of what these town halls would be like was exactly what ended up happening. You had at the same on the same uh, time slot, but different channels, NBC and ABC. You had let's start with Biden. I actually watched the Trump one first, which was far more interesting, although it was also aggravating. But we'll start with Biden. Uh, Biden was allowed to give a statesmanlike fireside chat with voters who were overwhelmingly asking him uh, very gentle questions, mostly Democrats asking him questions. No surprise there. And Stephanopoulos really acting to make sure that, you know, that Biden covered all of his bases, you know, that that he gave the full answers that he was hoping hoping for. And five minutes for an answer. Totally fine. Very few interruptions. It was clear that Stephanopoulos has a tremendous amount of respect for Biden and wanted to draw out the best answers from him that he could. And Biden was a lot of, you know, I've got a plan, Uh, you know, I mean, 40. uh, There's a study that says I'm going to make 40 million jobs, you know, 10 billion dollars coming from the rich, plus the 70 million jobs I'm going to create, plus, you know, free stuff for everybody. But no one's going to pay more. And, you know, another study said that 80 million jobs, it's just all what? What is this guy even talking about? He was vice president of the Obama administration, which was economically a disaster. They didn't know what they were doing. They don't understand growth. They don't understand commerce. What they know how to do is use government power to take from some people and give it to others and to make special interests and the left very happy. That's it. They were not good for the middle class. They were not good for working people. We we ran the experiment already of Joe Biden and the senior reaches of the federal government, which let me remind everybody was a shock the first time around. The fact that Biden got to be VP, I mean, it's a little bit like Kamala Harris, somebody who, when he was running for president, was largely rejected by the voters of his own party. And then beyond that was in a position where he all of a sudden is uh, is, you know, on a ticket and everyone's supposed to think that he's some great guy doing a fantastic job. Right. So ridiculous. Uh, Kamala Harris, same thing. Couldn't get very many votes at all. But sure enough, she is now the vice presidential candidate. So Biden is uh, was able to just do exactly what we thought he would do, which is say things that he felt like saying, do things that he felt like doing and no pushback, really nothing else. OK, I know that's it's almost it's almost too boring. The only thing that's worth it is some of the answers he gave, which I'll dissect in a moment. But the format of it was it was a cordial conversation with Stephanopoulos there, you know, there to, you know, 
you know, give him a little back rub. You know, when the uh, the boxer has to go to his corner and the and the boxing trainer will sometimes give him a rub on the shoulders. You know, go get him. You're go get go get him. Rock, get in there. You know, that was kind of Stephanopoulos for Biden. That was really what he was doing. So then you get to uh, then you get to what happened with Trump. And this should not be it's not a surprise, I think, to anybody. But it wasn't actually a town hall, really. It was a debate between Savannah Guthrie, who's taking a break from telling us about the best summer salad recipes on the Today Show uh, to now be a a voice engaging with the president of the United States on politics and and clearly from a partisan angle. Uh, That's something that we all expected. It's not surprising, but it is, in fact, what happened. It is, in fact, the reality of this exchange from last night and uh there was there are so many moments we could point to where you know she's just getting snippy with the president i mean she was horrible it was awful the whole thing just watching it was a little bit on the painful side but here's for example this is an exchange now she's supposed to be a moderator i don't know she the first it felt like the first half of this town hall was just her and asking the president all the usual left wing stuff all the usual questions about you know you can't uh, uh why, why won't you denounce white supremacy why won't you wear masks uh, you know just the attack questions all the time they're doing the oppo dirty work of the dnc for them and uh, on masks for example she she went after trump on this place seven Look, look, you have on the masks, you know, you have two stories. You have a story where they want, a story where they don't want. I am all well, for I it. I don't get that because it's just all of your public health officials, your administration, they're in unison Sean. about this. No. They're all in unison no. about it. The you, University of Washington, which is a, a stat, is a, a, they have a model that your coronavirus task force relies on, says that if everyone wore a mask, you could cut expected deaths in half. Yeah, 60,000 lives. Well, what is that? Scott Atkins, if you look at Scott, Dr. Scott, he's from great guys, Stanford. He will tell you he's that not he an infectious disease you. expert. No, I don't know. Look, he's an expert. He's one of the great experts of the world. But I don't get it because you have so much power and influence as president. I'm you could go it. to your you By could require way, it at your rallies and you could say everyone put on a mask right now. And the University of Washington says you Savannah, could save lives. University of Washington, then you have other places say different things. You have a lot of hey, Dr. Fauci said don't wear a mask, right? At first, but then everybody agreed. No, I- So notice that she says something that's not true, and uh, he then corrects her, right? She says, everyone says, and he's like, well, no, I have an MD who is one of my advisors now who does not agree with this. They also just dismiss out of hand the Great Barrington Declaration, which has people who look quite honestly just have more impressive credentials than Dr. Fauci. Went to better medical schools, have more training in epidemiology, have longer Uh, I've spent longer periods of time doing research specifically on how viruses transmit. Now, I know you'd say Fauci was at the CDC. He's a bureaucrat, folks. He's a bureaucrat. It's like somebody who's at the CIA as director, something that I understand very well. The CIA director is not the smartest CIA man in the building at all. That's not how it works. He's just the guy that gets put in the position to watch everybody else and, you know, give speeches and be a manager. He's a bureaucrat. Nonetheless, uh, you know, Fauci here is a guy that we all have to listen to, even though he's clearly a Democrat. He's clearly a Democrat. And 
she says something that's not true. And then she gets in this mass debate with the president. I thought I thought this was supposed to be a town hall. I thought everybody was going to uh, be able to approach the president, you know, just the average folks be able to approach the president and ask their questions. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not what happened. And it's strange to me. I don't know why. I will say this. Trump did a very good job. He was very lucid. He was good. I mean, he kicked her butt. It was a debate. And that was what the Trump campaign said afterwards. She kept she kept coming at Trump on all these different issues. And he shot it down and he made honestly a much, I think, much more compelling case for himself on a whole range of issues than he was even able in the first debate. When, as we know now, I mean, the the president's uh, the president's health, the president's you know state of mind may have been somewhat affected. So now we have uh, this obvious playing out of NBC, ABC they're attacking Trump. Why not? A, why not a Fox town hall? Why not the Joe Rogan town hall or, or Joe Rogan interview? Why not go on a platform where I know they'd say NBC reaches so many people and all this stuff. It's the we're in the Internet age now. And unless the ma- major Internet companies shut something down, it can pretty much get wherever it has to get. So I've got, just got to tell you, I thought last night was unsurprising. But now now let me dig into the specifics. Right. Trump did a good job. Guthrie was horrible. Stephanopoulos gave Biden a back rub. Uh, That was all expected. That is what happened. Let's look at the specific issues. We're a couple of weeks out from a presidential election. We should know what these two men actually believe, Biden and Trump. So let's let's dig into that a bit, because there is much more there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're asked point blank to denounce white supremacy. In the moment, you didn't. You asked some follow-up questions. Who specifically? A couple of days later, on a different show, oh, you, you, you denounced white supremacy. No, My question did. to you is: You've done this to why me. Why does everybody. it seem like I denounced white supremacy? Okay, you did two days later. White supremacy for years, but you always do it. You always start off with a well, question. You didn't ask Joe Biden whether or not he denounces Antifa. I watched him on the same basic show with Lester Holt, and he was asking questions like Biden was a child. Well, well so this so is a little bit ready? of a dodge. Are you, wait, are you listening? I denounce white supremacy. Okay. What's your next question? Do you feel, it feels sometimes you're hesitant to do so, like you hesitant. wait a bit. Here we go again. Every time, in fact, my people came, I'm sure they'll ask you the white supremacy question. I denounce white supremacy. Okay. And frankly, you want to know something? I denounce Antifa, and I denounce these people on the left that are burning down our cities that are run by Democrats. And notice the president, when he's able to actually get out what he's trying to say, because at least it wasn't a two on one as the Biden Chris Wallace debate was. He makes very clear the following. He has denounced white supremacy in the past. He's denouncing white supremacy now. It's offensive that they keep asking him this question, and it's clear they're doing so for partisan reasons. Oh, and they won't even accept what he says when he says it. So what's really the point of asking him? Why are they doing this? They don't care what the answer is. They do not care that he says, I denounce white supremacy. They just want to keep asking. This is the classic, when did you stop beating your wife question? And she even lets it slip a little bit here by saying, you seem a little hesitant sometimes. Oh, so he doesn't he doesn't denounce it fast enough now. This is the standard. I, I just want to know, does he have to denounce it even more loudly? 
is this like that scene in the very entertaining 90s movie Jerry Maguire where Tom Cruise has to say, show me the money, screaming, you know, screaming into the phone. Does Trump have to say, I denounce white supremacy as loud as possible? And if he doesn't, he's not denouncing it enough. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, you know, didn't hear it. It's a little bit like when you go to a, a live event and they say, you know, this side, are you happy to be here in New York? And it's like, ah, I, I can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, what does he have to do? What does he have to do to get them to finally stop asking this dumbass question? This is a question that stupid people who think they're smart ask the president of the United States. There's no reason to believe it. It's all based in a lie. This whole continuing, oh, white supremacy thing. We know the game that they play. Every four years, they go, well, David Duke, the KKK guy, endorses this or that candidate. Yeah, and the Communist Party of America endorses the Democrat every year. No one cares. These people are losers. Although, actually, maybe the Democrats do care about the Communist Party because increasingly there are a bunch of commies, too. But no one cares what the KKK says about a presidential election, as in they have no support. They are completely reviled throughout society. They are condemned. They are not welcome in the Republican Party in any way, shape or form. And how many times do we have to say this? How many times do we have to do this? But see, they, they win merely with the accusation. It's just fighting dirty. Here I am having to cite this from last night. But this really, for me, was the breaking point also with Chris Wallace. This was the breaking point where Chris Wallace all of a sudden uh, was asking this question and I, you know, in the first debate. And I just realized, oh, my gosh, here we go. It's a litmus test. If you think that President Trump this guy who grew up in Queens in New York City has a lifelong history of being a businessman with no there's no bigotry. They have they haven't found some tape where he's making horrible statements about some race or anything else or some ethnicity, whatever. And they keep asking about being a white supremacist. Uh, this is unbelievable, friends, but that's what they do. And that was what they did last night. But it was worthwhile for us to see this because. While Savannah Guthrie is effectively calling the president of the United States a racist to his face and doing so in this like really like uh, like I'm just like I'm a really serious NBC News journalist. And I'm like, so like, I'm sorry, sir. I'm asking you the real tough question. And, uh, and everyone, yeah, go get him. All the Democrats, all the libs. No, no deference or respect. And the president clearly found her annoying and overly aggressive. And he was right. Do you think she's at? Find me a tape where she's ever, ever approached any Democrat in any office like that. That's what I want to know. Find me one. And I'll say, oh, I guess I was wrong. Maybe she's a real journo. The whole thing is such a fraud, isn't it? Asking the president if he's a white supremacist. What you really have to remember about this is their, their only evidence for this is a lie. So they make an allegation based on a lie. And they just continue to pretend that we don't know that he did not say that there were good sides, uh, good people on both sides in Charlottesville. He didn't say that. It's a lie to say that, but they keep they keep going with this. There's a transcript. It's not even just like, oh, he said something and they could interpret it one way or the other. He said something and then clarified because it was, you know, it was open ended in a sense what he said. If you just take the sentence out of context, but then he clarified just to be very clear, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis who should be totally condemned. I'm just talking about people that are debating both sides of whether statues should just be torn down or how that process should go which is still true to this day. Otherwise, you know, th th I guess we have to you know, decapitate the Columbus statue that's not far from where I'm doing this uh, show in Columbus Circle in New York City. So Guthrie was, was terrible on 
uh, on that issue. She was terrible on asking about white supremacy, asking him uh, or really just debating him and, and hectoring him on masks. And I'm just going to say this now. There are a couple of people in the Kamala campaign who have gotten covid. Um, they're going to do everything they can to make sure that this does not right before the election, this does not turn into and it doesn't even have to be Kamala or Joe Biden. But if a bunch of Democrats around them all get this when they're walking around with with very showy masks on. Right. It's, it's not just a mask. Sometimes it's they they're masked up all the time, social distancing all the time for the cameras, at least. We all know, right, that people I mean, I've seen this people even in my building in New York who are all about wearing masks all the time. You know what the first thing they do when they get in the elevator, they think they're alone is they rip that mask off. Now they're just, you know, spreading virus freely in the air in the elevator. Oh, and then when the elevator's done, you know what they do? They put the mask back on. Oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. See, look at me. I'm voting for Biden. Right. But they understand that they've now infected that elevator bank. And for anyone else who goes in there, they'll be exposed to the virus. And that's even if you believe that the mask does anything to prevent this. And I just is it this week? Is it my mask protects me? Your mask protects you? Or is it my mask protects you? Your mask protects me? Which one is it this week? Because it'll probably change next week. I made a joke last week on Twitter about how, you know, not six, seven, you know, seven. I made a joke about masks, you know, not one, two. Why not three? You know, Joe Biden last night at the town hall made a point of saying that he wears now an N95 and a surgical mask. Now he's got to up the ante a little bit. Now he's got to show how serious he is about this. What a good person he is. He does both. To this, I just want to say, oh, yeah, Joe Biden. What about three masks, my man? That's what I rock these days. I don't really, but maybe I will just so I can walk around telling everybody some when I'm really trying to show how much I take the virus seriously. I go three. I triple mask and wear goggles. Why not a uh, a PR uh, PAPR hood? You know, those ventilator actual respirator rather hoods. Why not one of those? Go all in. Got to take it seriously. Biden's already wearing two masks masks. How long before the spread of this virus goes up again in this country before they're telling us you really need to wear two masks? I'm just remember, I've told you this. There will be a push for double masking, a double mask mandate. That's going to come up, too. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the one thing you know? Whether you watch that town hall last night or not, what's the one thing that, you know, Joe Biden was not asked about? I want you to, I want you to think about it. For Some of you already have the answer. What's the one thing, you know? Oh, that's right. Hunter Biden, you know, the guy that there's now even more information was selling access straight up selling access to his dad trying to steer U.S. foreign policy to line his own pockets. The guy's a total ne'er-do-well, a screw-up, and now we all see it. And the media has been covering for him all along, as we also know, including now big tech with Twitter and Facebook, in what was nothing other than a suppression campaign that's still going on to try to protect Biden the final weeks. Look, the Democrats aren't used to an October surprise. They're expecting to be able to just Cruise on into Election Day without any, without any last minute bumps. Well, they have one now. 
But that's right. He wasn't asked about this at all. The president has already pointed out how frustrating this is for him. And it's an outrage. We're going to talk more about the Hunter Biden thing in a little bit. There's even more information out there about this one. But let's discuss what Biden was asked about and, and what he did say. And remember, he had plenty of time. I mean, Stephanopoulos, I'm so glad he was there to make sure that that Biden had some nice tea with lemon in it if he needed it. You know, maybe a, a warm washcloth, uh, some fuzzy slippers. You know, George Stephanopoulos really holding Biden's feet to the fire to keep them warm and so that he could find pressure points and make sure that Biden was really relaxed. You know, give him a little foot rub. That's what he got, which is great. I mean, being a Democrat, huge advantage. We know that. Being a Republican, Trump had Savannah Guthrie, like all in his face, like asking, like, why don't you wear masks? And like, I don't care. There are other people here asking questions. Like, I'm really upset. Right. Good stuff. That was great. Really, really exceptional from NBC. But NBC is a joke. It's a joke of a place. Remember, NBC is the same place that has MSNBC, which gave Joy Reid a promotion after lying about hacking and an FBI investigation of the hacking, all based upon her writing homophobic stuff on her blog 10 years ago. All she had to do was say, Wow, I was really wrong. I apologize. I'm moving. And they would have forgiven her. It would have been fine. But nope. Don't even want to do that. Don't want to take responsibility. Get away with it. Get promoted. Not even just get away with it. That's NBC. That's the NBC News Division. I always remember MSNBC, NBC, tons of crossover, working together all the time, hand in gloves. The same thing, effectively. Same thing. You know, uh, so, you know, Fox News, Fox Business, a lot of people back and forth. Yeah, different shows, different hosts, but same parent company. A lot of stuff going on there. Uh, good things at Fox and Fox Business, but not good things at NBC. So we have so many fun areas of discussion here with Joe Biden from last night. So we should all make sure we understand exactly who the American people will be getting if this guy becomes president, who's a, a remarkable case study in the the rise of mediocrity that can occur as long as you are shameless. If you are shameless and have endurance you can rise in American politics. It's true. Biden's been around for a long time, and nobody thought this guy was even a little bit impressive until five minutes ago when all of a sudden he was their best chance, they thought, to actually win a national election. But let's get into his, his answers to these things. Um, let's get into this. We have the dumbest thing that Joe Biden said in the, in the, entire, in the entire debate last night. What was the single... Um, the single most outrageous, idiotic. Now, now, I'm, I'm not saying that I have the answer necessarily. I, I think you could make a case that there are a few different contenders, any one of which could be the answer. Um, but this is very high on the list for me. This one, I feel like this outranks all the others. Here's, here's what he said. We're talking about police reform and defunding cops. Remember when the Democrats were all chanting about defunding cops a few months ago? And some of us, like me, were running around saying that's so stupid that it could not be taken seriously by a serious person. It's it's a moronic talking point. It's not possible that somebody who says this and believes it is intelligent on issues of law enforcement. Notice how they've abandoned that. Right. In the moment, in the frenzy for the purposes of mobilizing the base and getting clicks and attention on TV, left-wing activists and Democrats were all of a sudden saying, no, we believe in this, we believe in this. Right. 
think there's any accountability for that? You think the people of Minneapolis who actually had a police station burned down in their city? You think anyone's apologized to them or feels badly about what's happened to their neighborhoods with the rise in crime, but also just the rise in a sense of hopelessness and helplessness because of the defund the police mantra? No, of course not. They don't they don't care. They just move right past it after after they've just left destruction and mayhem in their wake. Democrats, the left, national news media, they find some other target. They move on to something else. Here is uh, Joe Biden explaining his police policy going forward. Play clip two. We can do this. You can ban chokeholds. You can. But but beyond that, you have to teach people how to de-escalate circumstances, de-escalate. So instead of anybody coming at you and the first thing you do is shoot to kill, you shoot them in the leg. There's ways you have to do more background checks in terms of whether or not the person coming in passes certain psychological tests. And the last thing I'll say, and I'm sorry because it was really, I think, really, really important, is you have to be in a position where you are able to identify identify the things that have to change. And one of the things that has to change is so many cops get called into circumstances where somebody is mentally off, like what happened not long ago with that guy with the knife. That's why we have to provide within police departments psychologists and social workers to go out with the cops on those calls, those, some of those 911 calls, to de-escalate the circumstance, to deal with talking them down. But we can't. Cops are kind of like school teachers. No, cops are not like school teachers, actually. It's not true. It's not their job. It's not their training. They're not school teachers. And we ask a lot just based on circumstance, unfortunately, of our cops far beyond their job description. They are family counselor. They are peacemaker. They are, uh, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of things intervening for a lot of people. Police become just involved in pretty mundane family disputes because there's no good dispute resolution mechanism inside that family unit. This just happens in places. It's not really what cops are supposed to do, but they step in, they do the job. I just think this is, so there's so much dumb there. Don't worry, I'm going to get to the shoot them in the leg thing in a second. Because he said that, you know, get cops and don't shoot to kill, shoot them in the leg. He doesn't know anything. He knows absolutely nothing. This is so dumb that a national politician saying this out loud, I mean, this is as dumb as anything they accuse Trump of having said, but this is actually not a joke, right? They'll pretend that when Trump says something and he's kidding, it's real, right? And now they're, now they're saying, uh, then they've got Joe Biden coming forward, and here we are with him saying, shoot someone in the leg. They don't shoot to kill. Police shoot to stop the threat. And they will shoot for center mass if they have to use lethal force and... That's the way it's going to be because they have made a decision to stop the threat. That is how they are trained. Shoot in the leg. Has he ever seen a video of when cops have to shoot? Shoot in the leg. Really easy to say things like that. First of all, you could get hit in your femoral artery, uh, femoral rather, and die. uh, And that can happen too. So it's not like shoot in the leg is. And what is he? Shoot somebody in the shin? Is that is that the plan? Because uh, people can keep coming at you. And there's video now that's circulating. I'm sure many of you have seen it where a guy got shot multiple times, has a knife coming at cops, will not stop, falls to the ground after being shot numerous times, gets up, tackles another officer, tries to pull his firearm off him to use against him. And fortunately, his partner is able to finally stop the threat. 
That's the only way that they're trained. That's the way it has to be done. I was trained to shoot to stop the threat, too, when I was in the CIA. This is just the way that it's done. You're not, you're not shooting because you want to hurt somebody or because you're angry or, or you're not trying to hit them in the leg or the head. You're going center mass, stop the threat. That's all that because in a moment of panic and fear that you will feel if you have to defend yourself with lethal force, your small motor skills are much less acute, much less refined. The likelihood of being able to hit somebody if you shoot them in the leg, it's much more likely you will miss and now you will be attacked and perhaps die yourself. It's so dumb that it's amazing that somebody who thinks he should be president would say it out loud. But that is that is what he offers up for you. That is what he says. Um, and then this other aspect, this other thing, this this Democrat fantasy that the way we could deal with all this is by sending out psychologists. As, as though we're going to have some guy in a three-piece suit named Sigmund who's like, so tell me about your mother. It's not going to work. It's not going to make people calm down when they're a lethal threat to law enforcement or when they're having a breakdown. Do you know who people who work in the mental health field have to call when someone's an EDP and they cannot be reasoned with? They call the cops. This is what happens in psych wards. This is what happens in places. There's a reason there are orderlies who are just large, essentially like bouncers, to deal with people in, in, in uh, psychiatric wards if they become a danger to themselves or to others. They have to be physically restrained. There's a reason why there are restraints in psychiatric wards, too. But Biden doesn't. It's not even clear that he doesn't know this so much as he doesn't know and he doesn't care. It doesn't matter. Just spew out some nonsense. Stephanopoulos is like, oh, yeah, that's great. And it sounds like he cares more about people. But I can assure you this, Joe Biden has had Secret Service protection now for a very long time. Uh, if somebody was hiding out in the bushes and he didn't have armed security everywhere, he would want the cops showing up, doing whatever they had to do as fast as possible, and he wouldn't have any questions about it. And this is the classic liberal mentality on display. They want to judge other people who want to survive a violent encounter. They want to have other people who use their Second Amendment rights to defend themselves against the mob charged with murder. Right. They want that. But they themselves no. I mean, they whatever force is necessary to protect them. That's totally fine. But yes, that's right. Biden thinks, you know, yeah, we could train cops to, you know, shoot in the leg. No, we can't. We don't do that. You do not train people to shoot people in the legs, because if they have to shoot, it's because there's an imminent threat to life. And you're not going to stop that by aiming for someone's leg. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And once we get it, if it's safe, it's, if it's effective, will you mandate its use? The answer is, depending on how clear there's vaccines, they say, have a very positive impact and they're going to affect positively 85 percent of the American public. Or there's others say this vaccine is really the key. This is this is this is the golden key. It depends on the state of the nature of the vaccine, when it comes out and how it's being distributed. That would depend on. But I would think that we should be talking about depending on the continuation of the spread of the virus, we should be thinking about making a man. How could you enforce that? 
Well, you couldn't. That's the problem. Just like you can't afford, you can't enforce measles. You can't, you can't come to school unless you have a measles shot. You know, you can't. But you can't say everyone has to do this. But you would, just like you can't mandate a mask. But you can say, you can go to every governor and get them all in a room, all 50 of them as president, and say, ask people to wear the mask. Was that English? I mean, really, what was he saying there? You know, you can't, but measles, you can't go to school if you get the measles, but you can't mandate a vaccine. But then he says there are vaccine mandates for school. And then he says you can't mandate a mask, but then there's going to be governors who ask. And I don't care if they're asking. They're using the law. They're using the law here, folks. Here's what's really going on. Yes, Biden will mandate a vaccine. If that's what the Democrat Party decides, if that's what the left wants, there'll be a vaccine mandate. They will mandate it for schools. Oh, yes, it'll happen. Get ready for it for a virus that they have politically invested in the belief that it is it is very dangerous to children when it is not. It is not dangerous to children. It is not but they will still say that it is. Now, when I say it's not, yes, I think there's 20 kids who have died, they believe, from COVID. I would wonder if it's with COVID or, or uh, from COVID, right? But that's far fewer than die every single year from the flu, and people do not keep their kids out of school for the, most of the school year because it's flu season. So this, this is all quite clear. This is all quite obvious, but doesn't matter. Yes, they will mandate a vaccine for people, if that's what the left decides that needs to be done, just like he says there, you can't mandate masks. You know, this is a big part of the problem in our mask debate as a country. The mask debate. I know we played that clip for you a while ago. You know, we got to have mask debate on this show a lot of time. It's just the way it is. But a big problem with it is that is that there's no separation in people's minds between someone's choice to take that precaution that they want to take and a government mandate about masks. It's not the same thing. When the government says you must do this thing, it means they're using the threat of force to make you do something, right? So if they say mask up or you're fined, that's also the same thing as saying mask up or we will take money from you, we'll take property from you. And if you refuse, we will arrest you, we will take away your freedom. That's what it means. That seems quite a bit extreme, doesn't it? There's a difference between that and, hey, guys, we think it'll be good if people wore masks, but we understand some of you will have already recovered from the disease. Some of you, you know, don't think that it's necessary under certain circumstances. We're going to leave it the same way we do with all other health matters like this. When it comes to respiratory diseases that are out there like the flu, we're going to leave it to individual individual decision making as much as possible, as much as is feasible. Uh, They've completely abandoned that. They've decided that that's no you're no longer able to have those freedoms. And based on what now they act like you're an idiot if you don't think that the masks are so great, even though Fauci and the rest of the crew didn't want you to wear them at the beginning. When remember this, they're saying their line now is we didn't know as much now as we knew then when Fauci was saying don't wear masks, when people were saying don't wear masks, the belief was actually that this virus was because remember, they said, don't wear them because we don't want you to take them from frontline health care workers. The initial estimates were that this virus was one to three percent fatality rate. That's where we got that two million number in the United States. Right. Two to three million dead. So we thought it was far more lethal then than we actually know it is now. And with that belief in much greater lethality, they have said 
that they were saying, don't wear masks. Now it's much less lethal. And they say, if you don't wear masks, you're killing people. And we're supposed to just accept this. Not me. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is Joe Biden a moderate? Let, let's address that question now, because this goes to the heart of what the appeal of him as a president is supposed to be. He often talks about being a uniter. He talks about how he wants to unite the country, bring the country back together again. Okay. What evidence do we have of that? Other than the fact that he says it, which, of course, benefits him politically. So that doesn't make it clear at all that that's really his ultimate goal here. Is Joe Biden a uniter? Well, I think we should certainly look at this a little bit. Is he a moderate? Is he someone that will be able to tell the left, which has completely lost its mind? um, Hey, guys, let's not push so far Let's not be so crazy on this issue. Let's find a middle pathway. Bill Clinton gets a lot of a lot of credit historically from the media that slobbers all over him and loves him, despite the fact that he's a serial sexual assaulting, you know, skirt chasing maniac. But Bill Clinton uh, was always talked about as the guy who was triangulating. Well, the Republicans and Newt Gingrich took control of the House. And so to get things done, there was going to be some compromise. But I think also there was less of a polarization that had occurred at that period of time, or at least for the left, they were left less crazy. They were a little bit closer to normal. Still crazy, but a little bit. You go back and watch even early episodes of The West Wing, as I've been doing recently. You see this. You know, the, the libs, there was a kind of almost a quaint sanctimony with their, oh, we just need campaign finance reform and banning guns and everything will be better. Right, because those are, those are critical issues of national importance. Ban assault rifles and do some nibbling around the edges of campaign finance reform and America will be a much better place. These people are out of their minds. But Joe Biden was asked a question last night that I think uh, illustrates where the Democrat Party really is now, just just in terms of its ethos on the on the political scale, on the political spectrum. Left, right, where does it fall? Here he is asked about trans children. Play one. The idea that an eight-year-old child or a 10-year-old child decides, you know, I decided I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It may make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination. What does that mean, zero discrimination? First of all, does Joe Biden think that there are eight-year-old trans trans kids out there, really? That's what he thinks? And that we should uh, we should follow through on that? What does that mean exactly? When an eight-year-old says, I, you know, if an eight-year-old boy says, I feel like I'm a, I'm a girl, are we then supposed to change the, change the eight-year-old's name? And, you know, you've noticed this. As this plays out, there are some big warning signs that this is not what we're led to believe it is or what the media wants us to believe it is. For one, and I will not drop this, I'll never forget this, there was a, a well-researched, peer-reviewed, published study in uh, at Brown University, I think it was Brown University Journal of Medicine or Psychiatry or something like that. But it was out of Brown University, which is a very left wing place. I mean, a, a stunningly left wing monoculture over there. They have no no balance whatsoever. I mean, the, the, a lot of the most smug, self-righteous and haughty people you'll ever meet on the left went to Brown. It's the Ivy League school for straight up communism. And 
uh, big with celebrities, too. They love their kids to go there. So a lot of people buy their way into that school. Very, they don't get grades. It's a very unimpressive place. But the, the Brown University published this study that showed that there was what uh, effectively a trans for children. Now we're talking about tr- psychological trans contagion, um, meaning that when one kid in a class or in a friend group who is at a very young age, formative age, decides that he let's say he could be a she he is a transgender individual. All of a sudden, there's a huge spike in likelihood that somebody else in the class is going to decide that he or she is a trans individual. And then somebody else will decide. Now, if you look at this, I mean, just from a statistical standpoint, it's very unlikely that all of a sudden there's just a a pocket of individuals who are found together at that age who are far more, you know, who are far more densely trans than you would have in the broader population. That doesn't make any sense, right? Oh, no, we just happened to discover there are clusters of trans children. Which is this is what the study this study, when it came out, as soon as it started to get some attention, because it proved that there one is a just a an emotional, psychological component of this. And two, that among at least very young children, this is something that is almost like a fad. It catches on. Right. This becomes. People get a lot of attention. All of a sudden, it's, oh, you know, how, how can we accommodate you when you're eight years old? You know, you're still your brain is still forming. You're still figuring out who you are as a human being very much. So you're a little kid. You're practically just a few years above being a baby. But that study, you know what happened? They retracted it. They buried it and they pretended like it doesn't exist. Just like Twitter and Facebook do with the Hunter Biden story now. Uh, but they they did everything they could to make sure that that information was was suppressed. Uh, you know, these are policies that Democrats take where they think they're being really, uh, really open minded. And they think this is the uh, supportive and kind thing to do to to make eight, nine, ten year olds uh, completely comfortable with this with this new trans identity that they're establishing. Uh, and, and it's becoming much more common now. There would they would say, well, it's because there's greater acceptance of it, and so people who are trans at a very young age now, fe- oh, okay, well then let's have that debate and let's look at the data and let's really see, uh, because the other stuff that they don't want to talk about is how old should you be when you start getting hormone therapy, which is going to be lo- do irreversible damage to the body. There are left wing activists who will say it should start. You should effectively block puberty. It should start right away. This is really serious stuff. And the chief of transgender uh, surgery at Johns Hopkins University Medical Center for decades. I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he came out initially during this whole trans movement's uh, early days saying people who have transgender surgery have very poor outcomes when it comes to happiness, long term implications and effects. This is not something that the medical community should be embracing and doing, you know, taking healthy organs, removing them, trying to replace them. It's a very this guy said is very bad. I mean, he basically had just the entirety of the institutional left try to make him a monster for that. And now he's just been silenced. You never hear. I mean, she's probably going to apologize. I should never have said that. This is what ends up happening uh, because the left is a totalitarian mindset. The left doesn't believe in open debate and discussion, as we see from Facebook and Twitter again. 
They want to control what you can see, what you can think, what you're allowed to say. I was pleased that there had to be a bit of a walk back on sexual preference because they, they thought they had something. Oh, my gosh. Did you see ACB referred to sexual preference? That's terrible. Terrible. So bigoted. So anti-LGBTQ. That's what they were saying. That's what the left was claiming on this. And the issue they have then is all the clips that started circulating of Joe Biden, of other top Democrats. I'm sure we could find one of Barack Obama saying sexual preference. But there were Democrat senators who, when they saw the conversation on Twitter the day of uh, with these ACB hearings a couple of days ago, all of a sudden we're telling ACB this was that sexual preference is a term. I believe Maisie, crazy Maisie Hirono said that anti-LGBTQ activists use. So the far right anti-gay fringe, essentially, is the only, they're the only people who use a sexual preference. The media tried to back that up for a while. And then they realized, uh oh, yeah, pretty much everybody in America has referred to sexual preference on tape or on video. So this might be a tough one. So they're going to back away from this for right now. Doesn't mean they won't come back to it later. But they'll back away from it a little bit because it's too much, too much of a stretch. They thought they had a useful weapon, but then they realized it was a double edged sword. So not not quite the coup they were hoping for. Joe Biden as a as a moderate. What evidence is there for this? Do you know who else said that they weren't going to raise taxes on people over uh, who make less than four hundred thousand dollars? Barack Obama. And then they passed Obamacare, which meant that people who were paying for their own health care, had their own individual plans were brought into a system where they overwhelmingly were forced to subsidize other people's plans who were getting Obamacare subsidies and get crappier coverage and pay more money for it. So that's just another version of a tax. Right. And then, of course, there was the individual mandate, which was a tax, was a penalty. I don't know. Ask John Roberts. Notice that there's never some left wing justice who is in the John Roberts role of dramatically disappointing those who believe in, in his or her uh, judicial philosophy. You know, there, there was never some time when all of a sudden, you know, Sotomayor or Kagan are going with the conservative majority on an issue where everybody expected, you know, that, that the left would stay together, wouldn't break ranks. But we'll talk more about the judge stuff uh, in a little bit. Oh, but I do want to get to uh, Biden and court packing because that did come up last night. Let's jump to that one. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I'm not letting it go that uh, Guthrie for NBC was doing the work of the DNC last night, acting like a total hack. I'm not just going to let this go. She, it's the questions that were asked included... Uh, not only why don't you denounce white supremacy when he does and he's done it a million times and we're all sick of being asked the same question. Uh, but beyond that, she even got into I think she asked him about about Q Anon play 13. Just this week, you retweeted to your 87 million followers a conspiracy theory that Joe Biden orchestrated to have SEAL Team 6, the Navy SEAL Team 6, killed to cover up the, the fake death of bin Laden. Now, why would you send a lie like that to your followers? You retweeted. That was a retweet. That was a, an opinion of somebody. But, and that was a retweet. I'll put it out there. People can decide for themselves. I don't, get that. You're I don't the take a position. You're not like someone's crazy uncle who no, can no, just retweet no, no. whatever. That was a retweet. 
and I do a lot of retweets. And frankly, because the media is so fake and so corrupt, if I didn't have social media, I don't call it Twitter, I call it social media, I wouldn't be able to get the word out. And the word word is, is and you know what the word is? The word is very simple. We're building our country stronger and better than it's ever been before. And that's what's happening. And everybody knows it. Yeah, you know what's at the top of the minds of all the American people right now during a COVID pandemic and everything else? Um, did Trump retweet something? I didn't even see this. I don't even remember this. But look, lady, retweets do not equal endorsement. We all know that. All you have to do is go into the feeds of all these journalists too. look at the things that they're retweeting. They're constantly anti-Trump, constantly showing that they're Democrats. But they'll say it's retweets do not equal endorsements. Well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. How about that one? But I'm sorry, it wasn't just uh, the uh, he also was asked about QAnon. That was actually the Navy SEAL conspiracy. I, I got my conspiracy questions, but it's fine. doesn't matter. Same idea. She asked about uh, about the QAnon thing, too. And Trump ended up saying something like, I don't like pedophilia. It's bad. So can we just all agree on that? She's like, oh, why would you go? <laughs> the whole thing was a mess. It was a mess. And here we also got to the uh, the transition of power uh, question and another these are all meant these are all left-wing attacks with a question mark at the end it's like why are you the worst person ever question mark that's what they do why are you the worst human being to ever say this thing so here he is on the transition of power thing 14 they talk about the peaceful transfer right they spied on my campaign and they got caught and they spied heavily on my campaign and they tried to take down a duly elected city president and then they talk about will you accept a peaceful transfer and the answer is yes i will but i want it to be an honest election and so does everybody else when i see thousands of ballots dumped in a garbage can and they happen to have my name on it i'm not happy okay, about that okay but just those are cases I mean, there is no there is in fact no evidence of widespread fraud and you were sowing doubt about our democracy how, how our democracy how can you say that you do read newspapers I do. you do watch the news yes, i know you read the I news do. but you watch it i do because every day they're talking about ballots that are corrupt that are fraudulent and millions that are are sure. being processed right sure. now but you can win a race take a look at me you can win a race by one percent But there's not fraud. Yeah, but he's also talking about the inherent errors in the system. When you add the mess ups to the actual cases of fraud that we do know exist, you don't need a lot to cause a big problem for the election. And notice that they went from two months ago. It was, oh, my gosh, he's shutting down the post office. He's cheating and Russian disinformation. They constantly talk about how Trump is undermining institution and faith in our elections. And then they do the very same thing and pretend like they weren't complaining about it themselves. It's it's impossible to argue with these people. It's like dealing with bratty children that won't listen to anything you say. They just want what they want. And if you don't give it to them, they're going to throw SpaghettiOs in your face. That's it. That's our journalist cadre. That's what we have to deal with every day. Oh, my gosh. She was the worst. I've always thought she was the worst. I mean, among among these journal types, these people that are on like the Today Show and stuff, you know. Are you a journalist or are you like a game show host? Oh, really? You ask the question. Are you a journalist or a game show host? Are you supposed to be really smart or are you supposed to be likable? Oh, I'm just like the, the guy or the girl next door. Everyone likes me. What is this? Are you in entertainment or are you in news and information? Hmm? Are you opinion or are you... They don't have, you know, it's just what, whatever works. Whatever works, whatever gets the 
the big checks to clear and unfortunately convinces the low information voter what to do. It's troubling, but we see all of this. Speaking of uh, low information voters. Joy Behar still has ideas. You know, she has ideas about things. She wants to give medical advice, you know, to the president and everybody else around him. Play 22, please. So we figured out how herd immunity would would work. I'll tell you how it is. So you need to have 60% of the population have to get it in order for it to even be in the ballpark. And some doctors say it doesn't even work. Mm -hmm. So we have 330 million people in this country. Uh, So that means uh, 198 million would have to get the virus. Okay, that's 60 percent. And out of that group, Mm -hmm. two percent would die. That would be almost four million people. So I say to Americans, are you willing to die for this man? Are you willing to die for this virus? Um, And imagine the hospitals. We thought that they were overcrowded in April and May. Can you imagine Mm -hmm. if you Mm -hmm. have 198 people with the virus? in this country. So this herd immunity is an outrageously stupid idea and they should stop talking about yeah. it altogether. The only thing that's okay. going to help us at this point he... is get rid of this guy and get a vaccination, period. Uh, she's a moron. I really mean that. Vaccination creates herd immunity, you total imbecile. And now, I, I, I don't like to be mean. I mean, she's clearly a person with a, a low mid two digit IQ. But listen, Behar, you take vaccinations to give herd immunity because not everybody gets the vaccination and the vaccination doesn't even work for everybody. And herd immunity doesn't mean no one ever gets this. No one ever dies from this. Herd immunity, which is what you try to achieve with things like measles and chicken pox, means there's a high enough level of protection in the community that it is very limited spread when it comes up because it has very few hosts to jump to it's not a it's not a panacea but just remember that she's telling you oh we got to get rid of them we got to herd immunity no herd immunity is the goal even with a vaccine you utter lib morons on the view read a book not harry potter read an actual book Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Harsanyi time, everybody. Our friend David Harsanyi from National Review, where he's a senior a senior writer. He joins us now to talk about just all the things this week, because there's a lot of them. David, great to have you back. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's let's start uh, with with your feelings about the tech suppression of the Hunter Biden story, because it felt like all of a sudden now anybody on the right who had had even just some last thoughts, qualms. uh, It's really tough to hold those now. I mean, big tech, the bias is beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, yeah, I mean, the post stories were well within, you know, collected and reported well within the normal bounds of ethical and moral report, you know, the way reporters go about their business. The whole point of good reporting is to get your hands on information that powerful people don't want you to have. There's no, um, I shouldn't say there's no, but there's often no really clean way to do that or some way that, that will, um, 
make, you know, be completely, I shouldn't say illegal, but, you know, it's messy to get that kind of information. And uh, I thought the post was pretty forthcoming. You should note that I write for them occasionally, but I think they were pretty forthcoming in how they came about that information. Certainly, it's no different than getting uh, ethically different than getting Trump's tax returns or the Pentagon Papers or any other major story of the last hundred years. So I, I think it was a clear, uh, clearly a, bi- a biased effort to try to suppress information that was is newsworthy, no matter where it came from. It was in the public record. So it's to me, it was an insane thing that it was an insane and obviously biased, uh, you know, act of suppression. Do you think that the Hunter Biden mm-hmm. stuff that we've seen so far does this? It, it feels to me like this is interesting to those of us who have known all along. It's quite clear that there was an influence peddling scheme. No one pays someone $50,000 a month for nothing. It, it doesn't. And they certainly don't pay Hunter Biden $50,000 a month. And it, I know people say it's more than that. It might have been 80, whatever, but tons of tons of money. No one's doing that just because they feel like it. That doesn't exist. So we all knew there had to be a quid pro quo here. And now we've seen email evidence of the quid pro quo. But does it matter, David? When I say it doesn't matter, yes, it matters ethically, and it's good that we know the story and hat, hat tip to the Post for breaking it. But are, voter, are voters in uh, Ohio, Michigan, Florida, Pennsylvania, et cetera, are they going to care? Um, I don't know that they would care specifically about that story, though I have to say it's, I think it's more, slightly more, or there are questions that go slightly beyond Hunter just doing, you know, cashing in on his last name and the Obama administration. If there was a meeting and I, I hope I'm understanding the story right. But if there was, if that email in the first story is true and there was a e- meeting between a uh, Ukrainian oil exec and the vice president of the United States, you know, um, uh, uh, less than a year before he pressured the Ukrainians to fire a prosecutor that may have been looking into that. And I don't know that that's all true, but that seems like that is the story right now. To, right. Exactly. It seemed like something people would want to know more about. I'm not saying that Biden did anything wrong, but I, if, if Trump had done something or had been involved in that sort of uh, scheme or was part of that, everyone would want to know. It would be a massive story. As my colleague Kevin Williamson said, if there were sex tapes found of, of Don Jr. you know, hitting the crack pipe, it would be on the Jumbotron in Times Square. And that's just the that's truth. That's just a fact, and, right. Uh, but yet there's no curiosity about it. So, so I, I want to ask you, and I'm trying to find a way to put this with the journos because I keep I see this repeated pattern where an intelligent, thoughtful person would would come to a certain conclusion based on facts and evidence. And journalists do the opposite thing. When I say journalists, I mean about 90 to 95 percent of people who traffic in information and narrative narrative creation for a living. And, you know, a perfect example of this is you know the Hillary, the Hillary Clinton uh foundation situation right and the bill and hillary clinton i remember being on cnn and saying guys uh we're all gonna know right that this is a that this is influence peddling that saudi arabia doesn't care about giving money to the clinton global initiative for women's rights around the world they're paying off the clinton crime family effectively for goodwill later on when hillary becomes president and will test my theory when we see the donations fall off a cliff and they had to shut down the CGI right after she lost. I mean, it was like fell off. No more donations. No one cares. All of a sudden, charity doesn't matter anymore. Right. We're not idiots. Hunter Biden. Same kind of idea here. He's getting paid fifty thousand dollars a month by this company to be on a board. He has no credibility, no reason to be. We all understand why this is going on. Journalists don't seem able to make very basic 
uh, uh, you know, conclusions to come to basic conclusions from the facts and evidence. Is this because they're pretending to be dumb, David? Uh, you know, that this is effectively a, like they're feigning stupidity because they don't want to have to deal with what the facts and evidence are. Or do you think they're so brainwashed that they actually just can't see it? I'm not sure. I would I would I would lean towards the latter. I mean, I, I've said this before, and I used to not be the type of person who thought that journalists went out of their way to work for the other can, you know, for the liberal candidate or the Democrat. But it's clearly the case that they believe they have a mission to try to get uh Joe Biden elected. They're corrupt. It's corrupt. The, the way they cover it is corrupt. The questions they ask is corrupt. And the questions they don't ask are corrupt. And they did the same thing when Hillary was, Hillary, you know, Hillary engaged in criminal activity. I mean, it was clear to me that, yep. she, that, that uh, Comey gave her a pass that would not have been given to you. Nope. When you worked. Uh, Correct. CIA. 100. And, by the way, uh, David, 100 percent accurate. And I was telling people that all along. If I set up an email server and they found me with classified, I, I don't do what some people do would do the, oh, Hillary should, you know, lock her up for 20 years. I would have had to take a criminal plea deal, been banned from having a clearance for ever again and probably gotten a year, a year of probation or something. But it would have been a criminal charge. Absolutely. Sorry. Go ahead. And what would have happened if you then took, you know, when uh witness did some witness tampering and, and erased the trail of evidence that yep. led to it i think you would have been in even more n- 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 then you would have so gone to prison by the way then i would have gone to prison yeah. absolutely yeah they got off comey let them get off they blame him for her losing the election but it was all her fault he in fact tried his best to save her and then they found that last laptop and he had no choice but to go public with it because it would have been public anyway but anyway we don't want to rehash that but they're doing the same thing again like Right away, Bill Crystal and others are like, this is Russian disinformation. Everything they don't like is Russian disinformation. Well, listen, has anyone provided any evidence that 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 those emails has anyone even said that the veracity of the emails aren't aren't real or or or, or that uh, you know those aren't pictures of Hunter or that Biden didn't meet with the with the Ukrainian oil exec? No, they haven't. And yet it was just this is the thing. They they banned the Trump URL from the post. But yet they let the Daily Caller and the Washington Post give context to a story that no one's supposed to be reading in the first place. It's such a cover up that I think that it's a bigger story than the actual Ukrainian whatever Biden was doing. The, the story, the big tech. And I have, actually am not on board with removing liability protections for them, honestly. I don't know what to do, but I don't know that that would help in the long run. But it's clear the big tech works for the Democratic Party as as does big media. And now you're going to have big tech, big companies, big media, the you know, the university systems. Everyone's working for the same party that I'm not saying it's fascism like Nazi Germany, but that looks a lot more like fascism than anything that they accuse, you know, Donald Trump of doing when you have every kind of industry working for one party. That's a one party state. I'm sorry. I mean, I feel like that's where it's going. If they win this election, that's where we are. And also, you're pointing out, we're speaking to David Harsani, everybody of National Review. Go to nationalreview.com for his latest uh, latest writing. Uh, David, Russian disinformation. I mean, this is such, to call the Hunter Biden stuff Russian disinformation, with, as you point out, zero evidence, it's just so craven and lazy. But people that are supposed to care about their reputations in this business do it. Like, I, I would be, I would feel humiliated if I said something so stupid. But it, it, there's no consequences for any of this. How is that possible? There's no consequences. You have 
You have the same people. By the way, all the journalists were essentially either quiet, meekly conforming or cheering on Twitter and Facebook's suppression of a, of a story by fellow journalists that was completely within, again, the ethical methods and standards that they themselves use. In fact, I would say that it's far has a far higher standard used than they used on tons of Russia collusion stories that's to this day go uncorrected. To this day, I can retweet. And uh, journalists have, have turned on the First Amendment. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge tragedy, I think. Um, I, you know me for a long time. I'm not like the kind of guy who says, "Oh, you're, you know, you're a fascist," or I'm not the kind of guy who, who, um, who panics. I don't think every election is the most important election ever. I probably don't even think this one is. But what's going on now is is unique and dangerous to free expression. And that concerns me far more than who wins the election or who doesn't. Um, why do you so think I, it's I gotten, why do you think it's happen. gotten so much worse? You know, you pointed out, I mean, David, I've known you now almost a decade and I, you know, you knew me right when I started in this and I left the CIA. It has gotten worse for sure. Uh, it's gotten more blatant, more obvious. The, the, and when I mean, what am I talking about? The media as a herd moving in lockstep with the needs and desires of the Democrat Party. It is it has always been there. But now, I mean, if you saw the Savannah Guthrie town hall last night, you know, she might as well have been throwing tomatoes at the president. It was ridiculous. I wouldn't even mind that. I wouldn't even mind that so much if they had if you did the same thing. Well, to buy right. right, But that's the point. They don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the question she asked, someone summarized and I forgot who on Twitter they are idiotic. I mean, they had nothing to do with re, with any. Maybe as a throwaway question, you know, where, you know, who do you owe money? Well, it's in the public record. Why won't you say, you know, why won't you denounce white supremacy? The guy's done it like twenty times. So nothing about policy, nothing about uh, foreign, you know, affairs or anything like that. Nothing about ta- not nothing. And, and, and then you you tune into the Biden stuff and he's being asked, you know, uh, you know, how do you feel you know, or whatever, you know, whatever. kind of Yeah. Well, what's what's it asking. like to be in this that in this question on Hunter Biden? Not one. Yeah. Not one question on Hunter Biden. It's all, you know, but by the way, by the way, he's being interviewed by the former communications director of the Democratic president, Clinton. Right. No one that doesn't bother anyone. A guy who gave money to the Clinton Foundation. I, it just seems like this is all. So it, it, David, there is no good faith argument on the other side. I mean, the bias is everywhere. People keep asking me, what can what can be done about this or how did we get to this point? And I start to worry where I feel like the left has just seized all the inst- in- institutional power in the country. And the only reason that Republicans can still win some elections is because there's still a lot of Americans that have not been brainwashed into this way of thinking. But it's always this, you know, the academia, Hollywood, the media, Law schools, the whole legal profession now is really becoming a province of the left. What do we do? I've been making this argument for a while now, and I just think that when you have you, there are still some wealthy conservatives out there and there are many conservatives, period, out there. Not even conservatives, people who believe sort of in the the traditional framework of American life. Right. And uh, you have to create your own institutions. You have to create your own platforms. You have to create your own TV station. You have to buy up properties and make them into something that's better than what they are now. Like you need to, I think, start doing that instead of giving money to the same old politicians, the same old stupid, you know, 
I don't want think tanks. Say it. Think of, tanks. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of think tanks. Some of them, incidentally, which I love, and and uh, and you know, people are thinking I'm pointing a certain one. I'm not. I mean, I think that they do excellent work. And in fact, some of them actually do journalistic work that needs to be done. And yeah. we'll talk about the Heritage Foundation. Daily Signal is a really good site and does good journalism. But I think that more money needs to just be poured into the sort of popular cultural kind of sites that people read. And and, and um, they, that's the only way. It's the only way to do this. They control the networks other than Fox, um, you know, the big ones, the, 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 the news networks as well. I mean, I don't know how you're it's even their fact checkers, which are supposed to stand up for, you know, the, the, the truth. Are, are just propagandists. The Washington Post is just basically a propagandist outlet. CNN is just ridiculous. I can't even watch it anymore. <laughs> it's um, actually funny, though. You have I to watch I CNN mean, I, with, I like, you know, a, a glass of Jim Beam or something, and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is pretty amusing, actually. These people are out of their minds. They think they're still doing neutral journalism, my friend. David, you know that's true. They still think that. They'll say that. No, I know. I, I used to watch it and, and I'd laugh here or there because it's kind of so outrageous. But here's the thing. I do, it, it honestly doesn't get me any any new knowledge. I don't move forward. I just hear propaganda. That's how I feel. Like, I'm not a big cable news guy at all. So if I can watch C-SPAN with an event, I do because I don't want to hear it. But even there the other day, I'm watching C-SPAN and there's like, a you know, for Amy Coney Barrett stuff. And then there's a... Uh, a pause and the guy goes on and he goes reporter Kyle Griffin, you know, and you know, MSNBC says, I'm like, are you kidding me? He's not a reporter. Yeah, he's a left wing propagandist. Like yeah. Could you imagine if C-SPAN okay. broke in? They're like, um, super serious journalist Buck Sexton had this thought on Twitter. Everybody, <laughs> the lives would light things you know, on fire. I think you and I are less biased than the, than some of the journalists that pretend to not be. I like, think that's I true too. I, I write columns critical of, Donald Trump, they won't say anything critical of Biden. Ever. Never. Never. Yeah, I agree. All right, David, we got to leave it there, man. Have a great weekend. David Harsani at NationalReview.com. Follow this guy, read him, an honest conservative in the mix. Dave, thanks so much. Thanks, man. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, the celebrities like to do this thing where they say they're going to leave the U.S. if their preferred candidate doesn't win. Um, I got to tell you, I'm uh, I'm usually somebody who ignores this because they never do it. But there's one that I'm really hoping it's going to happen. Bruce Springsteen, the boss, is saying that if Trump wins, he is going to move to Australia. And that's just fine with me. That would be great. Australia can have him. The most, that's right, I'm going to say it, the most overrated music act in my mind in my lifetime. Overrated and then some. I know some of you are going to get mad at me. I don't care. The boss is overrated. I think all of New Jersey just groaned. I know. They're all groaning at me. And then other parts of the country are going to get mad at me because, you know, Stevie Nicks weighed in to say that if she hadn't, you know, if she hadn't aborted her child, you wouldn't have had Fleetwood Mac. And this has nothing. I won't even get into the abortion comment she made, but this was just yesterday. Um, Fleetwood Mac. I think I actually think the world would have been better off without Fleetwood Mac as a band, because I think they're also overrated and horrible. That's right. I'm starting fights on Friday because, you know, you know, I'm telling you the truth. No one really likes Fleetwood Mac. They're just told they're they're supposed to like Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. No one wants to listen to that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Let's get them word from the campaign itself. Joining us now is Aaron Perini, Director of Press Communications for the Trump campaign. Aaron, I want to ask, first off, how do you think that whole town hall on NBC went last night? Well, you know, it wasn't surprising to see that uh, it ended up turning into a debate, even if the debate commission had canceled the debate. You know, the president had to end up debating uh, Savannah Guthrie instead of Joe Biden. Uh, but he did an exceptional job. She was clearly out there with a motivation and an agenda um, to continue to try and spread lies and disinformation about President Trump. Um, but after her 20 minute, you know, uh, pushing on the president, she finally let the people in the audience ask questions. And uh, the president did a great job speaking directly to the people of Florida about their concerns, about their questions. And, you know, he did it. He did an absolutely fantastic job yesterday, as opposed to Joe Biden, who, you know, got to go on these long uh, answers, uh, was not pushed by George Stephanopoulos whatsoever, and actually had a former Obama Biden speechwriter in the audience asking questions. So tell me this. Why did the Commission on Presidential Debates, which is a thing that I think shouldn't exist, but anyway, why did that body decide that there couldn't be a debate this week exactly in person? I know they wanted a virtual debate, but what was the problem with the personal debate? Yeah, uh, you know, we're not really sure. They said that they didn't want to do it. Uh, They didn't consult us with it. Uh, But, you know, there was no medical reason whatsoever, no scientifically based reason that we could not have an in-person debate debate. you know, yesterday, uh, but they declined to do that. It's clear that they are extremely biased, extremely partisan uh, and working to try and help Joe Biden. I mean, those are just the facts of what have been happening time and again during this debate calendar. And so, you know, we want to make sure that the debate next week happens. And we have even put forth the idea of adding an additional debate on the 29th to make sure that we do the full three in-person debates that we agreed to uh, when we agreed to the initial calendar. Has the campaign, has the Trump campaign uh, agreed to any specific changes in, in format or anything like that after that first Chris Wallace debate? There was a lot of talk of it. And then obviously the president came down as uh, COVID positive. He's since beaten that. Thank God. But is there any change to what we saw from what we saw then? Because I know the campaigns are supposed to at least agree upon these rules in advance. Uh, Nothing that's been finalized or announced at this point. Obviously, the negotiations are ongoing for this third and final debate. Uh, And as things get kind of solidified and set to go, we'll be able to share that. But, you know, whatever they do, it's clear that the the commission is going to try and help Joe Biden uh, and prop him up for really not doing a good job in these debates. And so, you know, we want to make sure that ultimately this is a fair debate process. We want to make sure that we that President Trump gets to speak and answer the questions and that he gets to push back on the lies that we know Joe Biden tells during these debates. So that's ultimately the goal here. Speaking to Aaron Perini, uh, she is the director of press communications for the Trump campaign, telling us what's going on with the campaign. To that end, uh, the president is going to be speaking what tonight, just in a little bit here in Georgia. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, tonight the president's going to be in Macon, Georgia, for another Make America Great Again event uh, at the airport there at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And we know, uh, you know, how important it is for the president to get out there. A, he loves being able to talk directly to the American people without the media bias or filter over top. Uh, It's always a great way for us to get more data into the campaign to see where voters are, what their propensity is, because we generally see, you know, we've had a few rallies recently uh, in states like Pennsylvania and and in uh, other states where we've seen that, you know, between a quarter 
and a third of the registrants for these rallies, the voters we can identify based off of our data, are not Republicans. And so that means we're continuing to expand the base. So you'll see him in Georgia. He's going to be in Wisconsin the day after. He's crisscrossing the country, making sure he can get the message directly to the American people in this final stretch ahead of Election Day. Aaron, you mentioned the data. A lot of questions coming into my my show this week about the polls. Uh, People are saying that they're worried because there's a lot of, you know, you go in the real clear politics, average of polls, look in battleground states, and it's showing a lot of, of Biden plus some number. Some of the numbers are pretty big. What's the campaign's feeling? I know you have your internals, which you can't necessarily just share with us here on the show. But what's the campaign's feeling about these polls that folks are seeing? Because some are asking me, is this meant to uh, dishearten and even suppress the Trump vote? Well, I mean, it certainly looks that way, right? Because we're looking at time and again where the data is is wrong and is, and is off that you're seeing in these polls. Listen, this is an incredibly close race, and you're not seeing that reflected in in the national polls right now, because you see, even if you look at the real clear politics average, on uh, uh, October 10th, 2016, in Pennsylvania, for example, you saw Clinton up 8.6%. October 10th, 2020, you saw Joe, you see Joe Biden up 7.1%. President Trump won by 0.7 there. And in our recent rally there, we identified 14,000 voters of that. 26.8% of them were not Republicans, and another 19.9% of them were Democrats. So if we look at the numbers that come in from our data based on our incredible data game, our voter scores, and what we know about voters, we see that not only is the enthusiasm high for President Trump, but it's bringing in outside votes. And that's just Pennsylvania. We see it in states like Wisconsin as well, where where the national numbers you are seeing are off, and it is used as a suppression tool for people who support President Trump. What can you tell us about the ground game for the Trump campaign, given this just crazy and very difficult year of of COVID-19 and all the social distancing stuff and crowds and all this? So how effective, I mean, how have they adapted, and what are they doing to give people a little bit of a, encouragement especially in those battleground states that the ground game is strong absolutely the ground game we have is strong and it's the strongest that's ever happened in political history you know back in the 26 or in the 2012 cycle uh the obama people used to say they had the biggest grassroots army they had the best uh you know uh, ground game out there with 2.2 million volunteers we have 2.5 million volunteers who have made over 100 million voter contacts across the country. And just in North Carolina alone, we have made 9.4 million voter contacts. And that continues to rise. And now that we're in the final days, we have the army built out to be able to continue to knock doors and make phone calls. We were down on doors for a little bit as you know, in the early days of the pandemic, we brought that back online in June. And we are nonstop because we know the data is clear. You knock on a door, you're 17% more likely to show up. All of this is data-driven. And it's an incredible data grassroots army married together to get the message directly to voters. Because right now, we're just making sure we're getting out the vote. That's what we're doing. If that's your absentee ballot, if that's early in person, or if that's on election day, we're going to make sure we know where our voters are, and we're going to flush them out right now to make sure we win in November. Speaking to Erin Perini, she is the... uh press uh, director of press communications for the trump campaign aaron uh, before we let you get back to the campaign there's supposed to be a debate next week what do we know about it what's been agreed to and uh how should everybody be getting ready for it 
Absolutely. So we uh, certainly want to see a debate happen next week. President Trump's been clear about that. Uh, as of this point, the debate commission has not announced any changes in format or any changes to that happening in person. I know that's really important to the president that we make sure we're out there talking directly to the American people and that he's really in the same room as Joe Biden when we do it. So you will see, uh, you know, we're going to be there. It's going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. It's going to be foreign policy focused. And you're going to see, you know, the president be able to stand up and hold Joe Biden to account for his failures because even Rob, uh, you know, Robert Gates said that Joe Biden was on the wrong side of history on every major foreign policy issue. That's going to be the highlight next week. We want to make sure the American people get to see what a true commander in chief looks like. Aaron Perini, thanks so much for joining us from the Trump campaign. Good luck. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The good news for all of us is that we're going to get through this election pretty soon here, and then we will have a series of holidays, and the holidays will make things a little bit better for us. But if you want to listen to the Fouch, sorry, the holiday this year, you're going to have to eat a turkey alone. Don't eat too much. It'll cause the formation of adipose tissue. Adipose tissue can create inflammation in the cells. Inflammation in the cells lowers immunity. You basically eat too much turkey, you die of COVID. I'm just here to explain the science so you all know. That's why I'm here. The vouch wants you to say, look, I mean, you want to be thankful for something? Be thankful for the fact that I'm not making you wear a mask when you go to sleep at night or when you take a shower, because I might have to. I might have to pull you all together and tell you that. Here he is saying um, your Thanksgiving is going to stink this year. Play 21. I think given the uh, fluid and dynamic nature of what's going on right now in the spread and the uptick of infections, I think people should be very careful and prudent about social gatherings, particularly when members of the family might be at a risk because of their age or their underlying condition. Namely, you may have to bite the bullet and sacrifice that social gathering unless you're pretty certain that the people that you're dealing with are not infected. Either they've been very recently tested or they're living a lifestyle in which they don't have any interaction with anybody except you and your family. Then it's okay. I mean, this is what this uh, so-called public health official uh, expert tells people now. Live life like a hermit and there can be no joy until he says so. Until the Fouch says you're allowed to have holidays, you can't really have a holiday. Not allowed. You know, you can have a, a gathering of one, you know, and you have, you know, for example, okay, Halloween, what do you do? Can you send the kids out to trick or treat? No, you can't. So what you do instead is you have your kid wear a little costume and let him walk in the kitchen and put a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of maybe uh, Reese's Pieces or some other such sugary treat in the bowl. And that's it. Not as fun as seeing the friends, not as fun as being out in the neighborhood. But that's what you got to do. What about Thanksgiving? Oh, you know, Thanksgiving, who needs a big turkey and all this? Your climate change footprint's going to be very big with that turkey. So why not just, you know, go some steamed vegetables, very healthy, stay alone indoors, one day, I'll tell you you're allowed to have your life back, but probably not for another year or two. So this is the world we're living in now, folks. 
the world we're living in now because we've uh, given up so much of our autonomy and so much of the authority. Notice, you know, they'll tell you so much about how we should have choices about people's bodies when it comes to one thing. But when it comes to like stifling, when, when we really know it's actually about protecting a life. But anyway, and we got a whole other thing here about, you know, you can't have any breathing of fresh air and just like living like a normal person. Not allowed. Not allowed. You know, if you get tested, you're not going to get the results back particularly quickly. And so if you're tested and you're going to see your anethyl five days later, doesn't really mean anything because you would have had five days where you th- technically could have gotten infected. But, you know, the other side of this, too, is that the treatment of this has gotten better. They know more about it. They have some therapeutics to actually use for people. They keep talking about cases all the time. The, the death rate remains much lower than it was during during previous spikes. And uh, we at some point are just going to realize that the people that have been telling you all along, stay home, stay home, stay away from people, stay away from everybody. uh, They have nothing better to say. And they're committed to this idea. They're committed to being right and to having control over you. They're not committed to what's best for you. And perhaps there's no better example of that mentality than Governor Cuomo, the Italy virus, the France, the Spain virus. What do I mean by a Spain virus? The Spain virus is a very, very tiny thing. Viral, viral particles very small. You can't even, you can't even like, you think small, like, oh, what about the speck that's in my marinara sauce? No, smaller than that. It's very tiny. But Governor Cuomo has written a book on being serious. And in his book, he talks about the things that he did to save everybody. But what about all the people you say he didn't save because he's the worst at this ever? No, 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 no. We're rewriting history with the book. That's the point. Here's Cuomo himself speaking, if you can tell the difference. Play 16. You know, in the very beginning, the federal government said that they were in charge of testing and they were doing the testing and it was taking a long time. I should have said, forget it. Uh, I don't care what you say. The state should have started the testing earlier. Uh, We got ambushed by the virus. We had no idea that it was coming from Europe. It had been coming from Europe for three months uh, and uh, everybody missed it. But that that put New York in the hole. They kept calling it the China virus. It wasn't the China virus. It was the Italy virus and the France virus and the Spain virus who came here from Europe. Uh, they said there was no such thing as asymptomatic uh, spread. They right. said that you only spread it when you had <clears throat> symptoms. You had a cough, you had a sneeze, etc. That was all right. wrong. Uh, it turned out that you could spread it even without symptoms. And that's how it got into nursing homes. So there's some things that we should all get clear on here because you're going to hear a ton of rewriting history. And hat tip to my old uh, colleague, uh, Stu Bergier, great dude. Uh, you know him from Glenn Beck's radio show. He put out a thread today about Cuomo's rewriting of, of COVID history. He writes, Andrew Cuomo's new book is out, a fictional tale in which he proclaims himself master of coronavirus and viral savior of New York. But that's not even close to true. Let's go through Cuomo's actions in the most important month, March. March 1st, New York Governor Cuomo announces New York City's first confirmed case of COVID. March 2nd, Cuomo spends this period arguing New Yorkers were worrying too much. Quote, in this situation, the facts defeat fear because the reality is reassuring. It is deep breath time. That's what Cuomo was saying in March, folks. March 3rd, Cuomo finally takes immediate action on the crisis, the vaping crisis, Holds a rally at Capitol uh, at the New York Capitol. No vape New York trends on Twitter. That's right. Vaping was the big problem. 
March 1st, Cuomo, we have an epidemic caused by coronavirus, but we we have an epidemic, uh, have a bigger epidemic that is caused by fear. March 5th, think of criticism lobbed at the Trump administration about downplaying the virus. Cuomo does this over and over. He keeps going on. March 7th, after weeks of telling people not to worry so much and comparing COVID to the flu, Cuomo signs executive order declaring virus a disaster emergency in New York. March 8th, coronavirus cases hit triple digits. Cuomo tries to convince New Yorkers not to worry. This is not the Ebola virus. This is not SARS. This is a virus we have a lot of information on. It just just keeps going on. And March 9th, Cuomo downplays the effect of the virus. This is not Ebola. That's hysteria you see. That's fear you see. That's panic. That's unwarranted. The worst response by the numbers in the country, Democrat Cuomo writing a book about how good he was on COVID. This is sociopathic. And not only is he a sociopath, uh, but Cuomo is presiding over the destruction of the largest city in America because he's the governor and he does. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to send us messages, if you want to email us, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com or send us a direct message on Instagram. Just please, don't, no profanity in the subject line because then I'll know that you're a lib and we won't, we won't read the rest of it. Uh, let's get to it. Or if you, and if you really want to be smart, you should say in the subject line, producer Mark is a handsome genius uh, who helps Buck keep us safe and warm at night. And then all of a sudden you will magically be a part of roll call. Um, speaking of our of our wonderful genius producer, Mark, how's your weekend looking, buddy? It's terrible weather here in New York. So are you just going to hunker down, Netflix it up? Are you a Netflix or a Hulu guy mostly? I have both or whatever I feel like watching. If you could. Oh, OK. Between Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix for those digital video platforms, huh. you could only have one. Based on, you know, what they've done so far, which one would it be? That's a tough choice. It's got to be either Netflix or I'm going to throw HBO Max into the uh, equation there. They've got a lot of good I, stuff on there. I haven't seen that one, so maybe I have to check that one out. It's new. I love Amazon Prime because I feel like it's idiot proof. If you're willing to just throw money away on renting old movies that you shouldn't have to pay for, but they'll charge you $3, you can pretty much see anything. And they have some great original stuff on Amazon Prime, too. The Boys... Um, Bosch. There have been some very, very good Amazon Prime shows. Uh, we we watch know. one show called Upload, where it's like this universe where you get to, if you die, you get to become a digital person. Like an avatar of yourself or something? Kind of like that, yeah. It was actually really awesome. I wasn't expecting much. There was only 10 episodes. It was like a sitcom, like 30 minutes. It was really, really good and interesting. And uh, have you ever done, what's the... What's that multiplayer game that everybody was obsessed with for a while that everybody like a year or two ago was the rage and, every, you know, people were Fortnite. Have you ever done this thing? No, I have not. Because it's going to be a rainy, crappy weekend. So I'm looking for ways to, you know, expand my time wasting abilities. So I feel like Fortnite would probably be a good way to check it out. I thought you were a Call of Duty guy. I mean, I'm getting I'm actually getting to the point now in Call of Duty where I'm getting a, a little too good. I have to start using a sidearm only because I want it to be fair for people. So I'm just saying probably also should be time that I spend uh, researching and uh, going to the gym instead. But I'm working. Yeah, on Yeah, maybe make some of those podcasts you keep promising. 
Well, we do have one in the books, as you know. And when are we planning to release? So when are we releasing Malta, producer Mark? Do we know yet? Uh, I'm not sure. We discussed this off the air like we should be having this conversation. But you said we would have a couple of them ready before we release them. So we don't. Yes, yes, fair, fair. Okay. But I'm I'm thinking we'll try. I'm going to try to do Dracula in advance of Halloween and then do uh, part two of Malta. And we'll start doing those probably after the election, especially if Trump loses the election. I want people to have things that aren't political that they can listen to and be like, oh, they can relax. I mean, I'd say Uh, win or lose. uh, The election's a busy time. We're kind of hyper focused right now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, too. I don't want this to get lost in the in the uh, the madness. All right. Now it's um, is Mrs. Mark around this weekend. Are you solo? She's around. So at least I won't be that bored. My parents took the dog back today because she needed to have a just a routine vet appointment. And I'm like, but I want the dog. And I have to remind myself it's technically their dog. But she's so much fun to have around the house that when she's not here now. And I don't want to get like a gerbil or something. You know, if I'm going to get a pet, it's got to be a dog. So I feel like one day you're just going to go to their apartment and take the dog and see if they notice. Dog napping. Yeah, they would they would notice. (laughs) I could tell you they would notice. Uh, my dad, my dad would be uh, would be out there leading a, uh, a search party. All right. Let's get to uh, the thoughts from the roll call, folks. Brandy Buck. Nobody's asking Joe Biden what role, if any, Hunter Biden might play in a potential Biden administration. Americans deserve to know. Well, he could definitely be, you know, I don't know. He'd probably want to be head of the Food and Drug Administration, but. Not thinking that we mean pharmaceuticals. Uh, I don't think Biden's son is going to be a part of it, e- even if Biden wins, which could happen. But I don't think it will. I don't think it will. Uh, Hunter Biden's not going to be a part of any of this. I really strongly doubt that, honestly. So uh, that would be a little bit too much. Although I'm just going to say this, folks. Republicans, we have completely signed on for the precedent of family members get in a presidential administration Very important government roles, government paychecks, real government powers. And people have been silent about this on our side. I'm just reminding everybody now when, you know, Dr. Jill Biden is made like uh, head of, you know, HHS or something because she has a degree in education. But when that happens, it's going to be very hard for our side to say much about it without looking really hypocritical. But I know people don't care. Oh, he needs family members around him to advise him, people he can trust. Okay. I, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just, I, I'm keeping a real team. I'm telling you the truth. This is a precedent that we will come to regret. This is a precedent that we will come to regret. But I know right now it's, uh, we said, okay. We said, and hey, okay, we some of you thought of no big deal. We'll see. Just just wait. Brett, Buck, ACB is crushing these Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee. I've seen her calmly and coolly put these uh, policy first mental people of very minimal height in their place over and over, whether it is about Obamacare, abortion, LBGTQ and issues of racial discrimination. However, I just watched her leap off the top rope and knock out Kamala like Superfly Jimmy, Jimmy Snooker style. Do you remember him, Producer Mark? No, that's before my time. Ah, he was great. I think he I think he got nabbed for like a cold case murder. Am I 
producer Nick, I feel, producer Nick is my age, so he can and he you know he can always weigh in on that stuff. I'm pretty sure Superfly Jimmy Snuka was like indicted for a, a murder. Did someone check me on that? I think that happened, which is really you know he used to. Uh, I think he was Samoan. And he wore a kind of a like a leopard print mankini. But his move was to jump off the top turnbuckle. And he was very acrobatic. Very acrobatic. Uh, that is true. He was uh, indicted on third degree murder, but he was not tried because he was diagnosed with dementia. Oh. And the charges were dismissed. Oh. And he's, wow. he, he, has, he has passed on since. Oh, yeah. There we go. Um. I, oh, he passed on. I didn't even know he passed away. I didn't he passed that. away in 2017. Hmm. He, he was. A, he, I, I went through a period. I think I was probably maybe 10 to 12 where I, I watched a fair amount of wrestling. I mean, Hulk Hogan in his day. That guy was great. Guy was great. All right. Uh, but yes, I come. Oh, sorry. I just watched her leap off the top buckle when she asking her if she believed climate change exists. The Kavanaugh hearing showed the American people how ruthless the Dems can be. An ACB hearing are showing us how juvenile and undeveloped their thinking can be. Um, look, I, I think that this was a little bit of a surprise for me that the Democrats seem like they learned a little bit of a lesson from Kavanaugh. The backlash from what they did to him. It's not that they feel bad about it ethically, morally. It was unwise. What they did wasn't smart from the perspective of their lust for power so as a result of that uh, i think they backed off here a little bit plus that he's not a white male and so much of what the democrats have gotten really good at is trashing white males that's really an area where they where they excel um white male republicans by the way of course um, that that goes without saying so yeah acb did a fabulous job and they they really i was prepared for madness i thought it was going to happen in some way. And look, it's not over yet. I should note they haven't voted. You know, the fat late. I'm sorry, the the Zoftig uh, self-identified female, because we cannot say the fat lady sings the uh, pleasantly. No, no, I don't think that works. What's a nice way? The horizontally ample. Whatever you get what I'm saying. Uh, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. So, indeed, Ryan Buck, your take on the Wolf v. Nancy dialogue was on point. Number one, you nailed it, calling the relationship between Pelosi and CNN the queen and her scribes. That's precisely what it is. Thank you very much, Ryan. I agree. I think that is precisely what it is. Number two, Pelosi just had to get the last word and she sounded more desperate each time Wolf came back and tried to go uh, break it with a statement of conclusion. Pelosi got really desperate with the we feed them retort. We, we feed them. We feed them. And getting all grumpy Joe on the Wolfman. Buck and Mark, the show is great. Keep up the great work. Dads in the audience, get the teens to tune in and keep passing the buck. That's awesome, Ryan. Thank you. I love hearing that the younger generation of up and coming patriots and constitutional conservatives listen to the Buck Saxton show. So thank you so much for that. And uh, yes, indeed. And for those of you who are who are Team Buck Youth Squad, so anybody who's like college age below, I know you're on the the gram, but producer Mark, the Snow Princess, has been talking to me about up in my TikTok game a little bit. So just saying, might. I mean, now that it's not going to get banned, I it wouldn't be a bad idea. She's she is wise in these ways. 
And I was like, well, I have to make this look because she's quite a she's, you know, younger than me, um, almost by a decade. Not not quite a decade. She's 30. But uh, I. I was like, well, is that what you just made a grave mistake? You can't say the age on the air. No. Yeah. After after a certain age, she's 26. Come on. She's not listening, I hope, to the show tonight. <laughs> I, have to, I have to make her something really yummy and like be like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't turn on your smartphone to listen into the... No, 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 no. Yeah. You don't need to listen to that podcast. If only it was available on demand 24-7. Yes, if only it was a thing that anyone could listen to anytime they want, even when I'm not around. Let's, let's pretend like we don't all know that's the case. Um, so, yes. Uh, where were we here? We're now back to... Uh, oh no, we already. Oh no, TikTok. Yes, TikTok is something that I'm going to explore. I I find it pretty addictive, actually. Especially, I just watch meat grilling videos. I realize this is my some. You know, you find the thing that you just like to watch. I just like watching videos of people really cooking various red meat, mostly sometimes some pork. They'll make some really nice roast chicken, but the TikTok thing is great with that. You check it out, producer Mark. I do almost every day. I admit it. I'm addicted. Yeah. Once you start, you start on it. You're and I always wonder if the financial advice they're giving out on there is ever worthwhile too. they're like, here's how I took. And they're not trying to sell you anything from at least what I can see. It's like, here's how I took five dollars, bought a house and started making, you know, a thousand dollars a month based on, you know, the reno that I did. And I'm always like, wait, what? How? But it's fun to watch. So, and there was these uh, these shuffle dance videos that were really viral for a while, and then I tried a little bit of one because I was like, that'd be kind of cool. And then I realized, oh, it's really hard, and you have to be coordinated and good at dancing, kind of to begin with. So yeah, not as much of that. It's like watching break dancing videos. You'll think to yourself, ah, I can do that. Mm, usually not true. Usually not true. Unfortunately. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call, just enough to uh, put a cap on things here. Send us off for the weekend, because everybody is, in fact, working for the weekend, as you know. PJ here. Oh, wait, no, Garrick. Don't want to don't cut you out, Garrick. First of all, first of all, cool name. And second of all, hey, Buck, I enjoy the show. I've been listening almost religiously for the last few months. I enjoy the fact you don't sugarcoat anything and say how it is. I have a question regarding the hypocrisy of the left. How do they pull it off? The ability to lie to our faces and then have a double standard. Shields high and ad victoriam. Garrick, first of all, thank you. Yes, I know. And I, unlike some other folks that are in this business, I do say things that I know won't necessarily be popular, even with people that I agree with and, and are my you know, compatriots on all these issues. I will tell them things that don't always necessarily go over as the most. Oh, we're going to we're going to get full justice for for the deep state coup. Nope, not going to happen, as I've been saying all along. Anyway, uh, so I do try to tell everybody the truth always. And that is the guiding that is the guiding North Star, the lodestar of this show. And as for um, how the left pulls off the hypocrisy, it's a question of. Uh, not having any reputation to protect and also because then you have a tremendous amount of latitude you can do a lot when you don't have to worry about your reputation and then beyond that they control the institutions right so think about it this way if somebody if a group of if a group of people who are all united um in their beliefs about i don't know having uh loud loud parties at night 
if they take over your local homeowners association and the only way that somebody can actually get kicked out of the homeowners association and get evicted is if the homeowners association votes and kicks that person out, let's just say, well, guess what? <laughs> this is kind of the way the left operates. They control all of the mechanisms of these institutions that are supposed to be checks and balances on different parts of whether it's the media or everything else. And so that's when you can do that, you can be hypocritical. And that is what they do. PJ, hey, Bucket Producer Mark, just want to let Buck know that I named my new World of Warcraft character after him. And I even think I think I got the image down pretty good. I have him equipped with a sword and shield because imaging is everything. And I hope people ask me about the name so I can spread the buck everywhere. Keep it up. You guys are doing great. Shields high. Well, thank you, PJ. Um, hopefully my World of Warcraft character doesn't look like Fat Thor, Producer Mark. I'm kind of hoping it does. Yeah, we all know that. But uh, that's very cool, PJ. Thank you so much. And uh, yes, indeed, we uh, we I, I've never played World of Warcraft. Have you? I have not. No. Huh. Very popular game. I very I know. Very popular game. Greg. Hey, Buck, I just watched some of the town hall. And oh, man, it's unreal how a, a journalist from a major news network can get away with being that rude and disrespectful to a friggin president of the United States. On another note, Trump does have some big, um, I can yes, big marbles. I can say that going into these snake pits with leftists, and I think he holds his own. No other Republican would do that. Totally agree. Uh, the president is is brave enough and confident enough to go into hostile territory. You never see. That. When was the last time? Why won't Why won't Joe Biden sit down with Tucker Carlson, for example, for an interview? Why not? He'd ask him real questions, but Tucker would let him speak. He would show res- he would show respect to the candidate. He's not the president, but he'd show respect to the candidate. Why not? Because Joe Biden's, uh, you know, too wimpy and knows that it's not going to be a-, a back rub like what he got from Stephanopoulos. So that's why we all know it. Everybody rest up this weekend, recuperate, get ready for next week. Two more weeks to go before election week, friends. It's going to be wild. So uh, take care of yourselves. In the meantime, pass the buck over the weekend. Shields high.